0: Hello and welcome to The HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs.
1: Hello and welcome to The HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing social media as it relates to common interest developments. I'm joined today by Lisa Tajin, a named partner at Beaumont Tajin, a law firm specializing in CIDs. I've known Lisa a really long time. She's been super involved in CAI and CLAC and all the things that are good for homeowners associations. Lisa, how long has your practice been focused on just HOAs, CIDs?
2: Uh, Me specifically, right out of law school. So over 22 years, Amazing. um, I've been representing HOAs and I'm enjoying every minute of it.
1: Never a dull moment. So you may have noticed that there are a few social media options available to communities nowadays, Facebook being very, very popular, next door, those kinds of things. Uh, I'm sure there are some smaller ones, but those seem to be the the most commonly used. I'm sure, uh, I know it creates plenty of issues for us on the insurance side, but uh, the issues would be tenfold for you on the legal side. Can you go through maybe some of the pros and the cons of having social medias? Because uh, you know it, it can be a real valuable tool for uh, a community to get information, get it out there so everybody knows what's going on. It does build a sense of community. At the same time, it can also fracture that sense of community.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, With social media, like you said, the platforms are growing every day. The blogs, the chats, there's always a new platform coming up. And homeowners are very vocal on there. And, you know, it is something that is really permeating all of our clients' communities. So the question becomes at this point, how do we manage, control, and address the impact of such platforms in our communities? And how can we use them for the positive? And, you know, what are the positives versus the negatives? So let's go through that a little bit because we are really experiencing a lot of this with our clients. So some of the pros you hit upon, you know, it's easy communication with owners. Um, As we know, a lot of people are on social media 24-7. It's the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is grab their phone and see what's going on. And that's the last thing they do before they go to bed.
1: I swear there are some people that their only job is social media and they're not getting paid for it. It's just a hobby.
2: Yeah. Are you an influencer, Ryan? Are you?
1: <laughs> oh, I am. I am the opposite of an influencer. I'm a curmudgeon.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, people are always on social media. So, you know, in, in you know, one positive, it's a great way to, to disseminate information about what's going on in, in the community. It's the fastest way, as opposed to sending letters by snail mail or even email. It's not going to be as quickly disseminated as social media. So that, that is a positive. Another positive with social media is it could potentially decrease any expenses to the association. With the ability to get information out to their members and residents in the community, associations are able to kind of get ahead of any type of a legal dispute um, if they are able to really clarify issues that are ambiguous um, on social media. So it could help de-escalate a situation before it becomes a problem.
1: Lisa, real quick, and forgive me if I'm jumping too early here, but are there, uh, I'd imagine, requirements uh, on the civil code of what you can disseminate via social media and what you cannot?
2: Great question. Um, And social media is not specifically set forth in the civil code as far as what we can and cannot do. So social media platforms are kind of the new emails. So as of now, the civil code does allow us to Actually, send out um, any type of a notice for individual notice that is required by the code by emails. And um, we can also do certain postings on websites, but actual social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram, that's really has not yet been addressed. So we could make the analogy that if we're allowed to do it by email and we're allowed to post certain things on our association websites that we should be able to do so on an association account for Facebook or Instagram. But that has not been something that's been tried and, you know, a decision has not been made um, as far as whether that is specifically allowed at this point. But that is definitely where we're headed. Obviously, that's going to depend on whether an association has an official Facebook page or an Instagram account. Um, A lot of these blogs that we see and that are really permeating our communities, Are things that are really just run by homeowners at this time where they're angry, like the next door blogs. And so those things are not necessarily run by the association, but we will talk about that if we are gonna engage in social media as an association, how best to do that. And we'll hit those points a little later down the road. So, um, another benefit of social media, because we're disseminating information so quickly, is there is this appearance of transparency, right? Which is great because that's one of the number one complaints that owners and residents have of board members is they're not being transparent. Um, even though most um, and all business should be conducted in board meetings, a lot of homeowners don't attend board meetings, so they feel that there is some shroud of secrecy around board decisions or that boards are making decisions in private. But with social media, that kind of dispels that. If we are communicating with our owners on a frequent basis on social media. So it can help with that appearance of transparency. Um, lastly, another benefit that, you know, we could see if again, if we see social media platforms really run and managed by associations and management companies and boards is that we might be even able to sell some level of advertising space on those platforms and maybe generate some income. So that could be a, a way to generate income for an association as well. If we have a regulated platform that is run by the association. So those are some of the benefits, but, you know, I, I as a lawyer am more concerned with the negative impact that it can have. Um, so we're going to talk about that.
1: Yes, <laughs> I am as well. Let's get into the negatives.
2: <laughs> oh, the negatives. So the biggest risk, what we want to prevent is the board member who goes up on social media and sees all the negative comments being posted. And after a couple of glasses of wine on a Saturday night, decides to really let these owners have it because they're obviously thankless uh, people that are not appreciating the hard work of the board. And you see this all too often where a board member will do that and, well, you know, their frustration may be understandable by engaging in that type of conduct that is unilateral really exposes the association to liability. because any comment that comes out of a board member's mouth or from their account on a social media platform, has the appearance of being sanctioned and approved by the board. So, if you have the board president making statements unilaterally um, while trying to defend his actions as the board president or as the board collectively, if those comments are not vetted and approved by the board, it's really a problematic because you know it's very easy to be hot-headed, to make discriminatory comments, to be angry. And those comments can be interpreted as being board-sanctioned comments, where now the board is exposed to liability.
1: So there's no real line. If you are a board member and you're on social media and you are commenting, you can't, you can't say I'm commenting as uh, Ryan, the man that's had a couple glasses of wine, not Ryan, the board member.
2: Yeah, I mean it's hard to do that, um, and I tell all my boards this: that once you become a board member, you're kind of like a public official of sorts. So anything you say will be scrutinized. So even if you say I'm making these comments as an individual, um, not as a board member, it's kind of hard to take off your board member hat when you're serving as a board member. And a lot of owners and residents may still think that it is somehow a board-sanctioned comment. So it it is a gray area, and obviously, with the passage of AB 1410, it really becomes difficult to manage a lot of these comments on social media, but we will talk about some comments that I have as far as what we can implement moving forward if we are going to participate as board members on social media. But let's talk a little bit more about just the the negative aspects about participating on social media. So it could also create a hostile environment, um, not only for boards, but owners and management companies Obviously, the majority of comments we see on social media are people who are frustrated with their HOAs, and they get on there to make a negative comment. They make comments that probably include information that is not accurate. So that's where I get my clients calling me and saying, these comments are not accurate. This is misinformation, and it's creating a total frenzy and fracturizing the community.
1: That's where a lot of the the problems come in is, you know, you're that board member that's working hard or even just a a unit owner. You know what the board is doing and then you see this misinformation go up and you want to correct it and then it gets into an altercation.
2: Exactly. And so what is the proper way? So my clients say, well, are we just going to sit there and let this misinformation permeate the community and create problems? And, And my answer is no, but we have to do it in a very calculated way. So we'll get there, absolutely. But let's talk, there's still a lot more negative that comes from social media than we may realize at first. You know, airing dirty laundry of a community on social media also can negatively impact property values. Potential buyer may come across that social media posts or platforms and see homeowners complaining and see board responses, which may not be very dignified and may look at that and say, well, that looks like a horrible community. It doesn't look like a welcoming neighborhood does not look like it's someplace that I want to raise my children and my family. So we have to be careful that airing that type of dirty laundry on a public platform could really impact property values negatively. So we have to take that into account because it could signal dysfunction to any prospective buyer. And lastly, you know, what does social media, what else is a problem with social media is that it could potentially be a violation of the Open Meeting Act. The Open Meeting Act requires the board to meet, deliberate, and discuss Association items in noticed board meetings. So if we have multiple board members, if we have a quorum of the board engaging on social media, arguably that could constitute a violation of, of the Open Meeting Act, and that could be challenged by owners.
1: Interesting. And uh, the DNO carrier would have a duty to defend and an obligation to step in and defend, but just the defense of that uh, could be very, very expensive and cause you to lose your preferred carrier status, then you're paying more in insurance it's just a big giant steamroll.
2: Yeah. And there may not even be coverage. If it's a unilateral action by a board member, the carrier may say that this is not a board action, that this is actually a unilateral board member or members that are acting without the approval of the board. And so it may not be a covered claim, Um, obviously, depending on how the policy is drafted. But either way, whether it's covered or not, litigation in any community it only serves to further fracturize the community and you know impose a lot of liability on the owners that we want to avoid.
1: So before we get into best practices and things like that, talk about AB 1410.
2: Yeah, so AB 1410 was is an interesting bill. The social media component is really interesting because it really prevents more so than previously and a board's ability to prohibit or chill any type of free speech on social media platforms by owners or residents when they're discussing association business. Even if those comments are in any way critical of the association, it basically says any provisions in your governing documents that prohibit owners from engaging on social media to discuss association business um, is void and unenforceable. A lot of people got all up in arms with the passage of this bill, but it really just reiterates our right to free speech under the US Constitution, the California Constitution. But now it's it's a bill that is a law that is part of the Davis-Sterling Act which applies specifically to associations and it's saying that we can't prohibit our owners from engaging in this type of dialogue even if that dialogue is critical to the association.
1: Well, to that point, does that mean that If there is an owner that has, let's say, made some inflammatory comments, that the curator, the moderator of that social media platform, if it's the official association platform, cannot remove their comments?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. And that's what it's looking like. Although we have to remember that what AB 1410 does is try to, in other words, reinforce our First Amendment rights. And let's be clear free speech is not absolute. You don't have the right to say anything and everything. If if there is a threat to public safety, if there are comments that are defamatory and uh, they defame someone and impact someone's character, then that's not protected speech. So now it becomes more difficult for boards to be able to monitor and to be able to make a determination what is protected speech versus unprotected. So we're really going to need legal counsel to assist in the management of any social media portals or platforms that are actually governed by the association. Because if we do see a comment, like you said, Ryan, that could be arguably harassing, could be defamatory in nature, can we take those posts down? My advice would be, yes, if you get the review and the green light from your legal counsel. Because what you don't want to be slapped with is someone coming back and saying, you're infringing on my free speech, you are violating AB 1410. We don't want those types of claims. So we've got to do a little homework on the front end to determine what it is that we can actually regulate.
1: So in the meantime, you'd advise uh, that moderator who's just a volunteer, who's donating their time to not censor any, any comments until they first get a uh, legal counsel's opinion.
2: Yeah, and let's let's talk about that um, when we're talking about what I think my fixes are, because I will definitely jump into that um, and get into the weeds on that. But before we go there, let's just clarify what else AB 1410 does. So we know that we can't really restrict any conversations or comments that are critical to the association. Of course, the, you know, the exceptions would be, like I said, defamation and or harassment or hate speech or anything that is discriminatory in nature. We can definitely monitor that. But what it also says, AB 1410, is that even though we can't prohibit these types of comments on social media platforms, we don't have to provide that social media platform or an online resource to the owners. In other words, we don't have to give them access to post things on association websites. We don't have to provide that to them. We just can't prevent them from creating their own blog and engaging in comments on other platforms. But we don't have to provide the platform. In addition, AB 1410 says that if a owner engages in comment that is critical to the association, the association cannot retaliate against that owner for that type of comment. So obviously we can't call them to hearing. We can't impose fines. We can't take any action against them for exercising their free speech under 1410.
1: Including taking them out of the group, of the social media platform?
2: Yes, but we have to have some level of regulation. And so let's talk about that. So this is basically what we're dealing with, with 1410. So how do we manage social media? And you, you've been raising these questions throughout our discussion here today. Generally speaking, and I, I don't know if all attorneys feel this way, but my general advice to all my clients is to the extent possible, avoid social media outlets. That that's my That's my favorite. When clients say, we will not engage. Obviously, that's not reality um, in this world where, like we said, social media is just so prevalent in everybody's life. But my favorite clients are the ones that say we're not going to engage. Everybody else is, you know, chomping at the bit to engage with these owners and to set the record straight. So how are we going to manage it? So there's really two ways. Well, we have to generally have a plan. So there are two levels of control or um, management, for lack of a better word. It's social media participation by owners. How can we manage that? And then social media participation by board members. So, those are like the two areas that we really need to look at if any community is going to be active on social media. So,
1: quick caveat just to clarify within that. Now, we're talking about HOA sponsored and blessed social media platforms. So, let's say it's a Facebook page. Uh, If it says, Joe Schmo official HOA page, then, and it's it's curated by maybe a board member or a committee member, that would be official. But if it's unofficial and it's not in any way sponsored or participated on by board members, then we wouldn't need these protections?
2: Well, I think we need the protections either way. You've made a great clarification that there's two types of social media platforms for our purposes. One is one that is officially, like you said, an HOA page that is managed and the board is engaging and putting it out there as the official platform for the HOA. And then there is the blogs that are created by disgruntled owners or committee members that are unofficial. So let's talk about both. So if a client, like I said, my, my, if I had my druthers, they would not participate. But my, my second option would be if we're going to participate in social media as a board then let's have our own platform, or if we're not going to even have our own platform, let's at least have our own account. That when we engage even on those unofficial platforms that are not put up and sponsored by the board, that our responses are going to go out to the owners and residents as coming from an HOA account, not Bob Smith, the board president's personal account or a certain board member's personal account. We want to have our presence on social media coming from an account that is dedicated and official as the association's account. So when an owner sees a post from, you know, ABC HOA board of directors, they know that that has been posted by a board representative. The comment has been vetted and approved by a majority of the board and that they can take that comment as being a board sanctioned comment.
1: Do you think that a board, uh, let's say you you went that route, which sounds fantastic, by the way, would the board members have to meet to approve the comments uh, in an open meeting or executive session? Can they just do it via email?
2: Great question. And so I, I think there's going to be different levels of engagement on social media. So what I would tell my clients is, For the most part, um, we can't have, obviously, every comment. Social media is very much in time, right? So everybody wants a response right away. So if you were to meet, to have, to post a comment, to approve a comment that needs to be posted, by the time you get around to approving and posting it, it's old news, right? So people are on to the next issue. So that's really not practical. So you would need to delegate. So if a board is really going to do this, then what I would recommend is having some delegation to a board member or a couple board members who would be the board representatives that would be in charge of reviewing these platforms and making notes of any comments that are improper or are disseminating improper information or untruthful information where a comment from the board is required. And either delegating to those two board members the ability to post, but obviously depending on the gravity of the situation. If it becomes a legal issue where owners are claiming legal action against the board, then those comments before being responded to may need to be elevated to the entire board, may even be elevated to legal counsel to review before posting. But for the most part, on a day-to-day operation, what I envision is having some level of delegation to one or two board members who can be trusted, who you know are more maybe level-headed than some other board members, or even maybe to management to assist with making those comments and posting those comments.
1: That makes sense. So you, you mentioned part of this plan, uh, would you adopt written procedures?
2: Yeah. So I, I think there's two types of policies that I would recommend, and we're doing them more and more for our clients is a social media policy for board member participation. So once you're a board member, my position is you give up some of your rights because you are now a public figure of of sorts, quasi public figure. And so because of the liability that could be attached to your comments, you have to refrain from certain interaction on social media. So adopting a social media policy for board member participation which would include the things that we've already talked about, which we should either have an association portal and or platform, or at a minimum, an association account where all those you know, comments from the board will have to be posted on that association's account. So it's coming from the association.
1: When you say policy, you don't mean an insurance policy. You're talking about a set of procedures that's been laid out and adopted.
2: Correct. I'm sorry. Yes. So social media policy.
1: Just wanted to clarify.
2: Yeah, social media policy, which is basically a rule or a regulation. It's adopted the same way, like within after a 28 day comment period. Um, but it's a freestanding policy to just address social media as opposed to having rules and regulations uh, that address it. It's nice just to have a freestanding policy so people understand what is required of them. So part of that policy would also uh, require, you know, like I said, that the delegated board member to be making any responses unless, you know, it needs to be elevated to legal counsel. The policy would require that all content has to be respectful, no profanity. We want to make sure that any private information and confidential information is not being posted. So we need to be careful about social media in that way. Board members are privy to all confidential information, including delinquencies, violations, personal information that that we need to make sure is not being posted. So having that level of discretion to ensure that we are keeping homeowner um, information confidential. If we're going to have our own portal or platform and we want to post some confidential information, we need to make sure that that is password protected. So that only the people that should have access to that confidential information can have access as opposed to the general public or the the community as a whole. We want to make sure we're protecting the privacy of individual homeowners, which we want to do to avoid liability.
1: Could that be achieved by uh, just making the group, the Facebook group, so to speak, private and verifying that anybody applying is an owner?
2: correct absolutely that's one way and then obviously if on that that page we are going to have a section that discusses delinquencies and our violations that owners can only access their own personal information on that site so they can go to their name put in their password and they will only see their account ledger and any violations that they alone have as opposed to anybody else in their community gotcha so having that level of protection for private information is really important if we're going to have our own platforms makes sense um, so that's that's one thing so the social media and, and again it's what we really are aiming for with a social media policy for board members is to prevent unilateral postings by board members because that is the biggest risk that we have with doing that on the flip side we also want to adopt a social media policy for owner participation we want to ensure that the you know the postings of owners we want to say No defamatory content. If we have our own, if we have our own platform as an association, we want to be able to set some ground rules on how owners can participate.
1: One question I have you know, I I love these ideas of the protections and, you know, making sure that the group is private and all that. I I wonder, I, I feel like there's a lot of gray area with unofficial versus official pages and what constitutes an official page. Versus unofficial, where we have to take action or not take action. If there are board members involved, is it automatically, by default, an official page of the association?
2: Well, that's the appearance, and that's what we're afraid of. So you know, so an official page is one that is actually managed by the association, meaning the association puts it up. The association has, whether it's an, you know, a third-party, you know, outside third-party company managing the site, um, we have a board representative or a management representative that is, you know, managing the content. That's an official, and we put it out as such. We name it ABCHOA Facebook page. And you know, we make it clear that this is endorsed and managed and um, run by the association as the official page. That's one platform we have. But what I'm afraid of is when board members do engage on unofficial, meaning not run by the association platforms that some people might think it is an official platform because board members are participating in it. So that's why if we're dealing with those platforms that the association is not managing, we have to watch how we participate and make sure our participation is in the capacity of of the association only. What we don't want, like I said, is the board member making unilateral comments on there and then homeowners run with that and think, well, the board president just came up on our blog and said X, Y, and Z. So that must be an official statement from the board.
1: If you take that step to make it an official page, you've got this plan in place, these procedures, these guidelines, and one of the owners has a really bad day, a bad week, gets really mean on there, and they violate some of those policies that you've put in force, does the board then have the ability to uh, remove them from that platform, from that page?
2: Was this a board member or an owner?
1: A unit owner. So you've put these, these protections, these procedures in place. A unit owner says some terrible mean things or just spreads disinformation. They violate the procedures you put in place as a board. It's an official platform now, an official page. Can you then remove them uh, I'd imagine you need a warning first.
2: Yeah, I would treat it like I, you would any violation. That's why having a policy in place. So if you have a policy that says, "Okay, if you're going to engage in our association's official platform on Facebook," here are the guidelines. And you know, there are there are so many entities that do that. I mean, if you go on any Facebook page, of you know, there there is rules if you're going to join a private Facebook page. So having that policy in place you can't enforce unless you have a policy in place that tells the owners what they can and cannot do. And what they can and cannot do has to be in compliance with AB 1410 and our free speech rights. So those are, those are the parameters that we have to work with. So once we have that policy in place and we say, okay, we know what's not, what's not protected speech, which is defamatory, discriminatory, hate language, obscene language, profanity. We're not going to allow those. So now we have that as a policy. If there is a violator, we would treat it like a violation of the association's governing documents, which would require calling them to a hearing, may require, like you said, a notice first, a, a warning, depending on what the association's fine schedule is. Um, and then it would you know, escalate to a hearing. And then after the hearing, obviously if it continues, then arguably the remedy would be either imposing fines or preventing them access from that page. Again, though, I would caution any association before taking those steps to basically silence someone on an association page, that we consult legal counsel and we make sure that what they're saying is not protected. Um, so bottom line is with AB 1410, boards have to have thicker skins because what AB 1410 does is basically say, owners can criticize the board and you can't prevent them from doing it. Our skin has to be a little thicker Moving forward, but that's not to say that all language that is, again, unproductive and is not protected is a free for all, that we we have to give them a pass. That's not the case. But what we can take action on is more limited now as far as what we can prevent and prohibit.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I've heard you say before that the legislature's intent is always going to be transparency, more transparency, right? So that's what it sounds like 1410 is really trying to accomplish even more transparency without giving the board members the teeth that they that they want to be able to have to to fight back
2: yeah exactly and so we just it, it, unfortunately what this is going to require now is that associations engage legal counsel um a lot a lot more than before i mean i used to have clients before trying to silence homeowners imposing fines for, you know, making comments that were critical to the association, we can't do that anymore. So what we can't prohibit is less than what we could prohibit before. So unfortunately, people are allowed to be critical of the association, which, you know, if you look at it, I understand the intent of, of the law, which is obviously to give people the right to speak freely and to have an opinion, even if the opinion is not in alignment with the board's opinion but we have to protect everybody from speech that is actually, you know, hate speech or discriminatory or problematic in in any way, but we need to involve legal counsel in, in that evaluation.
1: Have you seen Lisa any claims come about as a result of uh, a social media challenge or a defamation of character, anything like that?
2: I haven't yet, but what we have seen is where We have clients, um, we actually just had to file a lawsuit against a homeowner that was actually being extremely aggressive in board meetings and standing up and making comments that were harassing and defamatory in nature. And uh, they are now trying to um, get the lawsuit dismissed by what's called an anti-slap motion. So I I don't want to get into the legalese of what an anti-slap motion is. Of course. but. An anti-slap motion is basically a motion to try and dismiss a lawsuit when the lawsuit is trying to silence someone. It's called, you know, a strategic uh, lawsuit against public participation. So if a lawsuit is brought to try and prevent someone from engaging and participating in public dialogue and discussion, this motion is brought, and we're going to start seeing that a lot more in associations when boards try and silence owners, because they're going to be relying on AB 1410 to say, hey, you can't silence me on this issue. You may not like what I have to say, but I have the right to my opinion. So we just need to be mindful of that. And again, I think boards that run to their attorneys and say, well, that comment is, is not right. We've got to file a lawsuit against this homeowner and they're they're making comments against, against me. And um, they just need to grow a thicker skin. Unfortunately, that's what it's going to come down
1: to. It feels like, you know, an overly cautious board could easily spend an excessive amount of money running to their attorney every single time a comment is posted, which is obviously not uh, an option.
2: Right. In closing, just to to kind of give a big picture overview, social media is not going anywhere. So, you know, like I said, even though we'd love for boards to stay off of social media, it's probably not the wave of the future. So what we have to do moving forward is really manage how we're going to participate as a board. And so the questions become, are we going to have our own platforms officially? Are we going to allow our board members to comment? And if so, let's get a policy in place on how we're going to have comments made on behalf of the association. Let's have an internal policy. Let's follow it. How are we going to allow Owners to engage on our social media platforms if an association has one. Let's lay down the ground rules so that when there is a violation, we can take action. We can't take action against owners unless there is a rule in place that prohibits a certain type of conduct. And generally speaking, what we can prohibit has shrunk because of AB 1410. There is not much we can prohibit unless it really, really um, becomes problematic comments and content.
1: Right. It's an important discussion. It's a scary topic. It's something that I think boards can't run away from because it it happens. And even if the board members themselves are refraining from social media, you're going to have spouses or partners that are there that are commenting, that are trying to defend their uh, significant others or their friends. It, It can get really dicey. So it sounds like the best course of action is to adopt one of these policies I would guess that you guys have templates already, ready to go?
2: Yeah, we have templates, but obviously everything is tailored to an association. So there, there's different because first we have to determine exactly what is going to be our protocol. Sure. Um, are we going to have our own platform? Are we just going to engage on outside platforms where you know we see our owners engaging? How are we going to do that? Who are we delegating the authority to respond? Is it going to be management, a board member, a combination of management, and board member? Is it going to be a separate committee? Um, so there's there's just a lot of questions on how we want to to manage it internally. But yes, you know we have language that we would recommend, but we would tailor it to each community's needs. But that's definitely what we you every community needs. We should have a social media policy in place before the need to respond on social media comes up, because we want to have those protocols in place so we know what to do when we need to engage.
1: Absolutely, that is. Sage advice. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up?
2: No, I think that's it.
1: Great. How can our, our listeners reach you uh, if they're interested? What's the website?
2: Sure. It is www.hoaattorneys.com.
1: That's very easy to remember. Hoaattorneys.com. All right. Uh, that's it for our show today. Special thanks to our guest, Lisa Tajin of Tajin Beaumont, or as Jeff calls it, Beaumont Tajin, as we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show.
0: To share or subscribe to the HOA Show, visit us at HOAShow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.